Hi, and welcome to Be More Now. My name is Blake Moore, and tonight I'm interviewing author, animal rights advocate, and veterinary homeopath Jan Allegretti. We'll be discussing holistic health care for animals, as well as human-animal wellness and how it relates to personal growth, environmental sustainability, and spiritual curiosity. So I talked to Jan earlier in the week, and before I bring up that talk, I'm going to tell you a bit about her. For more than 30 years, Jan Allegretti has been a consultant in holistic health care for animals and a passionate advocate for animal rights and welfare. She holds a diploma in veterinary homeopathy and offers private consultation and group workshops in animal health care and advocacy. Since the mid-1980s, Jan has written and worked toward a better relationship between humans and other species. In 2007, she co-founded the Mendocino County, California Animal Advocacy Organization, CARE, Compassionate for Animals, Respect for the Earth. In 2009, she was nominated for the American Red Cross, Sonoma and Mendocino County's Real Heroes Award in the animal category. Allegretti is the author of the Complete Holistic Health Dog Book, Home Health Care for Our Canine Companions, which was published initially in 2013 and is now in its second printing in 2018, as well as Listen to the Silence, Lessons from the Trees and Other Masters, which came out in 2007. She has also written extensively for print and online publications, including the column Beyond Body, Mind, and Spirit in the Defense of Animals e-newsletter. Jan combines her work as an animal advocate and animal health care consultant in her classes and workshops. She lives in the hills of Northern California on a mountaintop home with the resident deer, ravens, coyotes, rattlesnakes, bears, and countless other wise and wild ones. Hi, Jan. It's really a pleasure to have you here with me on Be More Now. Thanks for having me, Blake. This is really a pleasure to do this. You want to talk a little bit about your background who you are, what you do, and how you came to the coast? Sure. You know, coming out to Mendocino County is, um, it's just part of, I mean, I look back now and I can see it's part of a lifelong trajectory. You know, I'm originally from the Midwest. I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago, very much mainstream, middle class, very, very conservative um, upbringing and um, and I never felt like I belonged there. I was always always felt like an outsider. Um, but over the years, I sort of as I started to find myself and and you know find what really really own what fed me in terms of connection to the land. I always loved to go and sit in the forest, and I always wanted to live in the hills and trees, even though I lived in a place that was completely flat and rarely saw hills, little trees around. <laughs> but I was always drawn to um, that kind of environment. And um, even though I lived four blocks from the city limits of Chicago. Um, so I, I, I began to work more and more with, with animals, with horses. I trained horses for a long time and eventually began to transition out of that because I wanted a different kind of relationship with the horses and um, learned more about uh, healing, homeopathy, natural care for, for, for the horses and other animals. Um, and, and again, was just sort of in a, in a place that didn't support what I 
was finding within myself and with the teachers that I happened across in a place where there weren't very many teachers who were um, talking about things like spiritual connection with the land and those sorts of things, but that I knew in my heart were, were meaningful to me. Um, I eventually found my way out to California through one of those teachers. Um, I came out here to visit a few times, and, um, and, and, and when I reached a point when I knew I just needed to leave the Midwest and leave the environment where I was, this was the obvious place to come. And so I came out here. I actually came out to California originally thinking that I was going to bring my horses at the, at the, who were, were part of my family at the time. Um, I was going to bring them out here to stay with my teacher and friend. And then I was going to go to Portugal and study with a, a very wonderful um, horseman there and to, to go deeper into training horses. But by the time I got to that point, I was already starting to realize that training horses wasn't where I wanted to be, that I wanted to change that relationship. And I didn't want to support an industry that I saw as um, really commodifying the horses and, and not honoring them in the deepest way for who they are. So I never got to Portugal. I went for a, a brief visit at one point, but I never moved to Portugal and, or France or the places I had been thinking of and, and just fell in love with, with the land here. I immediately felt more at home in the community that I found here. I was in Sonoma County originally. Um, I just felt more at home. I felt more accepted. I felt like I had found people who shared my worldview, who lived in a way that I, I had always been drawn to live in relationship to the land and in terms of kind of walking the talk in terms of personal values and activism. And, uh, and I knew it was where I belonged. So I've been here for 30 years now. So, yeah, so it's a yeah. different place than it is today. Very much so. And, and Sonoma County certainly was different from, from Mendocino County. You know, I was in Sonoma County for four years and then came up here because I wanted more open space and wanted to be in a, in a quieter setting. And, um, and I certainly found it here. I have a, we live in a beautiful little tiny cabin that's pretty much all windows and up on top of a, of a hill and has views forever and, um, can see the clouds rolling in and, the rainbows when the sun peeks out, and it's really a special spot. Yeah, it's amazing. So many of us have such unique roads that we took to get where we are, but once we found it, it it's very difficult to want to leave. I didn't it expect is. to stay. Uh, I was just going to be here for a few years, and, you know, really? 20 years later, I'm still here. Yeah. yeah. I'm really glad, but yeah. you know, I never thought of myself as a, as a country person. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, I was always a big city person. And, uh, yeah, very different. So your work is with animals, but it's also so much more than that, about raising awareness. And you talk about non, you know, non-human animals. We're all animals, but the other ones are the non-human animals. And you mm-hmm. want to talk a bit about how we relate to them as individuals and as a society and some of the animal advocacy projects you're working on. Yeah, I think about referring to them as non-human animals rather than just they're the animals and we're the humans, you know? I mean, there's, in our society, we're, we're so deeply imbued with this notion 
that humans are the top of the hierarchy and that we are separate from the natural world, separate from, you know, the other the other types of animals and the other types of other living beings and and beings that we may not see as living in in the in the biological sense. Um, referring to things like rocks and mountains and and and, and clouds and, and those sorts of entities. Um, but we in a society we have this notion that we're the pinnacle of evolution and that we are at the top of the hierarchy and therefore, you know, our lives and our wishes and our desires are really, really what matter most and take priority of of the wishes and desires and needs of every other being on the planet. Um, and and so one of the things that's really central to my work and what I feel is a sense of purpose around is dissolving that notion of hierarchy, sort of offending the notion of hierarchy and dissolving the boundaries that we see, um, you know, and, and sort of going back to the place where we're just part of a continuum, you know, that we, that, that this, this earth, this planet is sort of a representation of a, a consciousness of life energy that infuses everything that we see around us and ourselves and everything that, that we share this place with and this, this point of existence with. And so, you know, the more we can dissolve those boundaries between ourselves as individuals and other humans and other ourselves as, as human society and other species and other, other ways of being in the world, the more we can get to our deepest nature and our deepest, our deepest sense of what's true and, and, and ultimately our, our own spirituality. And so, uh, but it's a, it's a really tough transition to make because those differences are so firmly ingrained in us culturally where we see, you know, any, any, anybody who's different from us, whether it's a, a human being with a different lifestyle or a different, different race, different color, different, language differences of any kind, different philosophies. You know, there's, we, we, we erect a boundary of sorts. You know, and certainly between our humans and other species, we erect boundaries and, and we see the differences before we see the similarities. And so, um, and it, it's, it's just, it's counterproductive to being, to living what I see is, is you know, the life that we're all here, here to live and, and that is just being bringing love and light into the world and, and, and caring for one another with compassion and, and open-heartedness. So that's, you know, that's, that's behind the language. The language is really powerful, I think, you know, when we, when we talk about ourselves in terms of the differences um, and other, other beings in terms of how different that they are as being different kinds of entities, but we re- reinforce all of that. So the language is an important part of it. One of the things that I have worked on in the past is um, what's been called the Guardian Campaign. It was started by Elliot Katz, who is the founder of an organization called In Defense of Animals. Um, and he built that into a really, really wonderful um, animal advocacy organization that that worked did a lot of important work on behalf of many different species, not just dogs and cats and horses and, you know, animals that we can think of we, we, we're accustomed to having in our lives but uh, um, primates and um, um, and other species has, and, and all around the world it's an international organization as well but one of the, one of the things that, that I think was a, a really important 
part of the movement towards animal ag- and, and animal advocacy is the notion that we are not the owners of other beings. We have no right to claim ownership of other beings. You know, I mean, we've sort of been down that road with regard to you know men owning women and parents owning their children and and humans owning other humans as slaves. And yet we are hopefully now at the brink of a, of reexamining the notion of humans owning other other types of animals because it's a it's a ticket to exploitation in reality. You know, as we've seen in the other cases that you know, that we talk about, if we look at every single type of abuse and exploitation of other species, and there are so many, you know, from from abuse of dogs and cats being mistreated in in homes and and abuse of horses in the racing industry and um, experimentation on animals in in laboratories, um, factory farming, um, poaching. It's endless. You know, we humans have so many different ways of using and abusing other species. Um, But if we look at every single one of those, we can find at the core of it the notion of this this notion of human superiority, or the notion that we have the right to take ownership of another living creature um, and and use it for our own purposes. So it makes sense then, I think, that if we can step away from that owner, notion of ownership and think in terms, in, instead in terms of guardianship, stewardship, caregiving, companionship, partnership, um, and see ourselves more on an equal footing uh, with those other other species, then we can begin to undo the justification that is so often used for abuse and exploitation of other species. So that guardianship campaign is something that you know I was very involved with for a while, and 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 the idea is to change the language that we use. It's a simple it it. it and its face is as simple as that. Rather than calling ourselves the owners of dogs or cats or horses or cows or whoever it is, um, think of ourselves as the guardian of that individual. Um, and so it's a way to, whenever we speak about those relationships, to plant a bit of a seed for um, that, that, that hopefully will begin to a different way of thinking about those relationships as well. So it's similar to being a landowner versus a, a land steward. It's a similar right. kind of co-creative interaction when you recognize exactly. that you get to have this opportunity to be someplace. You know, you can say you yeah. own it, but do you? <laughs> what does exactly. owning really mean? Yeah. Exactly. I, uh-huh. You know, and I think that I think that at a certain level, I think we all know that intuitively. I remember when I was, and I mentioned that I, I used to train horses, and, and when I was back in Illinois, I really wanted to be able to, train them in the most in the most compassionate way I possibly could and to care for them and to and to and to care for them in a way that was as compassionate as possible and as nat- as, as consistent with their natural lifestyle as possible. And of course my notion of how all that would work was drastically different thirty years ago than it is now. But right. but my I was on the path and I was moving in that direction and 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 so to do that, I wanted to do it the way I felt was really best. So I wanted to have my own training barn, and I was able to buy 48 acres to, to build this barn on. And I remember 
the first time after I signed the papers and closed on the on the, the, the purchase of the land, I went out to walk on this land that I now owned. And I went out there and I sat in the dirt and it was so clear to me, I, I don't, I don't own this, you know, how am I to think that I could own this piece of the earth, you know? Um, And so I do think that when we drop into a more clear and honest place inside, that we all kind of intuitively know that sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Do you have workshops that you do, or how can people get involved with that part of your work? Well, the animal advocacy is right now most of my work in that area is in regard to... um, some of the teaching that I do, I um, I do I do a lot of it through the healing work that I do um, in terms of teaching holistic health care for, for animals. I also, at, several years ago, we created an organization. I was with, with a few other people in Mendocino County. We created an animal advocacy organization called um, CARE, Compassion for Animals, Respect for the Earth. And for a while, we were doing a lot of events, a lot of um, education and, and community outreach events. It was very, very time-consuming and, and, and it took a lot of energy just, just to do that level of organizing. And so we eventually backed off from doing, doing those things. But we still maintain a list, uh, an, an email list, to keep, people, to, to keep lines of communication going about what's going on in the community. Um, most recently, we've been sh- we shared some information about uh, what's going on with the um, wildlife services contract um, that the county holds in regard to um, how we deal with interactions with wildlife in our county. And so we've been sharing information about that when, you know, when there are events going on or meetings going on at the county level. Um, but so right now it's basically a, um, just an informational and email list that we maintain. And um, people are welcome to get on, on that list. It's at the, the address is care Mendocino, C-A-R-E Mendocino at gmail.com. And we'll put you on the list and, and let people know when, you know when we have information to share about that. Otherwise, I, I from time to do work, time to time do workshops and, and that sort of thing about uh, healing work. And um, I haven't done too much on the advocacy work in a little while, as, as, as far as, as events go. But um, hope to be doing more of that in the next in the next uh, when things open up again. You mm-hmm. know, when we're all gathering more and doing that sort of thing. Right. You're listening to the voice of Jan Allegretti. She's an animal rights author. And I am Blake Moore here on Be More Now on KZYX. So do you have any suggestions for someone who's turned on by this idea and thinks, well, how do I start shifting from being an animal owner to a, an animal partner or a friend or any kind of stories or things that you have to share about people who've made that aha moment or discovery? Because I think there are some people who would be really open to that idea where others are just, they don't feel anything. Uh, I just got a cat, an 11-year-old cat, and he'd been outside his whole life, and, and it's been so interesting. He's only been with me for two weeks, but he's going through all the different emotions of where he is, and he's in a new mm-hmm. place, but he's also has indoor privileges for the first time, and he's a, he's a well-behaved cat, and it's been so interesting to me because I feel very much like he's my owner. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, you tell me what you well, need. I, I can relate to that, sure. But I guess I'm just wondering, yeah. how do we make these shifts? Do you have any suggestions in terms of that kind of animal communication when you're trying to understand these things? 
I think I think what you describe is a really good example of that, Blake. That that you know, it's it's really about awareness, about awareness of our own assumptions that we have, and we are layered and layered with assumptions about other beings and who they are and what they think and how they feel and what they want and and what role they play in our lives and in the world. Um, And so I think it's about being aware of those assumptions within ourselves. And it's also about bringing our awareness to who they are by just observing with a really, really open mind and an open heart and, and being open to sensing beyond what we see or what we hear um, you know, to the energy. I think. I think very often they operate very much. They're very much attuned to what's going on energetically um, in their environment and with other beings that they encounter. And um, and 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 what I have found is that the more I open to that sort of thing, the more sensitive I can become. The more I find there going on with them, it's mm-hmm. as though they're. They have these, this depth of communication and this, this intuitive and energetic way of communicating, and, and they're just waiting for us to tune into it. You know? right. <clears throat> Excuse me. I mean, if we think in terms of interacting with our dogs and, 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 and the level of commands and words and, and teaching them a word to use, um, you know, if I tell you sit, you sit, or if I tell you come, you come, or if I say the word go out, we go out. You know, then, and you're operating strictly on that level, then they're fine. They'll communicate with us at that level. But if I begin to drop into a different place of awareness and notice that when I think about maybe I'll turn off my computer and get ready to go outside, that my dog gets up from his bed and walks over to me, then I notice that, all right, I didn't have to say the word, let's go for a walk, and he knew exactly what was going on. Right. You know, so just being aware of those kinds of things and allowing a different level of communication and a different level of awareness as part of that. Um, yeah. I remember a time when I had, when I first moved up to this place, I had a, um, I have a real connection to um, Great Danes. I, I, most of my life I've had a dog in, 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 my, in my immediate family and um, for those last couple decades, that dog has been a Great Dane of one in one incarnation or another and um at the time when i first moved up here i had my two horses who had moved with moved with me here from illinois and they were up here and uh, i adopted a great dane from the shelter and her name was savannah and uh, she came out and um i was concerned about her um getting underfoot with the horses because I've seen too many accidents where dogs get kicked or stepped on by horses and, you know, really by accident on everybody's part generally, but um, it's just can be risky. So I wanted to make sure she wasn't in the way and, you know, she, we were just getting to know each other. There was no command for, for where to go or where to be, but, you know, just by, she was near the gate where I was going to open the, the, the gate and let the horses out and, you know, I just said, you know, you need to be careful so that you don't get stepped on when the horses come through. When she turned and she moved out of the way, she knew exactly what I was what I was yeah. talking about. You know, there were no commands, there was no training involved. It was just communication. Yeah. You know, so I think being willing to relate to them at the deepest possible level, and being willing to drop our expectations for what's possible about mm-hmm. who they are, 
you know, and 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 honoring their perception of things and their wishes for what's important um, to them and for, for how they want to be in in uh, the relationship and in their daily routines and so on. Um, it's just about peeling away the layers. You know, for me, it's been a lifelong process. And as I said, 30 years ago, I was trying to do things in a way that I felt was more compassionate than what I was seeing going on around me. And then I was labeled as a bit of a, a rebel because of that. And, um, but the things that I, I was proud to do then, I wouldn't consider doing now. You know, when I built my barn, I built a, I built it with, I came from an environment where horses were kept in tie stalls, which meant that they had, they were a halter all the time and they were tied to the back of the stall and they stood there for 22 hours a day until somebody right. took them out and walked them around and got on their back and rode around, you know, and so I was proud of the fact that I built my barn with 12 by 12 stalls, so they had plenty of room to turn around in that little 12 by 12 space, well, <coughs> excuse me, now. I wouldn't put a horse in a stall. You know, the horses, when they moved up here with me, they basically lived fence-free out on the land up here for the last 15 years of their lives, you know. So right. It's about that kind of transition where we keep setting the boundary. And I hope that 10 years from now, I'll look back at what I'm doing now and think, oh, what was I thinking? You know, I thought I was doing well, but now I can do so much better. So um, right. it's just about being willing to evolve and change and what we know and what we understand. Well, and that's what's so interesting about what you do is you've talked about your work with animals as your spiritual practice. And as I listen to you mm-hmm. speak, I think, oh, very much so, because you're entering into this kind of mystery with with the animals and, and, and wanting yeah. to be as fair to them as you are to, to yourself, that idea that treat as you would like to be treated. And that exactly. that, that goes to the animal kingdom as well. Oh, it does. It does so much, you know, and it's it's about, again, it comes back to this hierarchy in a way that, um, you know, when you, as you say about, about how they want to be treated, you know, where we, where we whose, whose needs are important? Are ours, are our wishes and needs and things that we want to do with our time we're, we're the only ones that really matter or, or do we need to consider the, the comfort and the enjoyment of, the non-humans in the family when we make decisions about how we spend our time. It really is a matter of, you know, reciprocity in terms of what's available to us and understanding. I had a, um, my last, the, the, my last great pain who I had, um, she left us uh, last September and she had been, I had an amazing experience with her um, when she, when she made her transition out of this life. She was, she was 11 years old when I adopted her. Um, she had been in a difficult situation. She was with a, somebody who had really good intentions but was overextended and overwhelmed and had another dog in the family and was caring for a disabled family member. And, and so Tiffany, the dog I adopted, was she had spent, she had gone through a, um, a rescue situation at one point she had I the story was that she had she had four different homes the first four years of her life and then she found her way to the person I adopted her from and but because she was so overwhelmed uh, um, Tiffany had spent most of the seven years she was there in a back bedroom by herself she wasn't really involved with the family very much she didn't get out very much she went you know out to a very lovely backyard and it was a very lovely back bedroom but she was by herself most of those seven years and so 
when I brought her home, I wanted nothing more than to let her realize that she was important, that she she had value, that she was central to our our home here and to our family that we made together, and, um, and to realize how important she was. Um, I used to, a routine every night at bedtime and in the morning, too, was to, you know, I would tell her that, um, you know, things are different now, that, that she really was important, and this is what love feels like, that, that we were together always and forever, and um, and I wanted her to, you know, do you feel me loving you? This is what real love feels like, that we're together forever, that's never going to change. And so when she passed, she, um, you know, I went through the routines of the day, and I, and I, you know, had a place for her, and I buried her in the backyard, and I came in, and and I was able to just allow myself to go into the grief of losing her. And um, and I was feeling that sadness and that loss. I had a sense of her coming back to me and saying, you telling me, that, reminding me that as I had told her, we would be together always and forever, and that this isn't really about loss, that we are still together, just as I had mm-hmm. said we would be. And as I was experiencing that and also experiencing the pain of losing her, I had a sense that she was saying to me, this is what love feels like. Do you feel me loving you? It felt as though she was turning what I had been trying to teach her while she was with me physically. She was Mm -hmm. turning that around and teaching me in my moment of uncertainty. Since that experience, I've been able to carry with me that sense of, I was so filled with what felt like a divine love, the essence of divine energy and that loving, loving that she was sharing with me. And so I've been able to tap into that sense of embodying that divine love through that experience that she gave back to me. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, the, the depth of connection at that level, is, I, just, I just find that there's no limit to it. And, and, and there's an opportunity to go deeper and deeper into, into that kind of experience. You know, the more we're open to it. Right. Do you have a poem you'd like to share? It feels like this would be a really good time as you're talking about this deep love. Yes, there's a um, a simple one about a really short one. Um, it's called Embracing the Impossible, and it's about trees. It's about sh- learning that same sort of thing from trees. It's called Embracing the Impossible. If trees can reach out and embrace one another, why can't we? Surely their arms are not as well suited to it as are ours. Perhaps it's only that their spirits are more open to the possibility. <laughs> Another one about compassion. Okay. Here's one that's called Who Cares? And this is, you know, a lot of these come from times when I am just out walking on the land. And it's, it's I mean, that's such an important part of my practice is to just be on the land. That every day I have to go and put my foot on the, in the dirt and sit in the dirt if it's not too wet and soggy and and if it is sometimes it brings something to sit on but but just being out and being silent on the land is really really important to me and I always learn something when I do that and so this is one of those moments I sit in the dirt on top of the hill getting grounded and soaking up the energy of the valley and the trees I watch the tiny animals crawling from stone to stone blade of grass to flower petals One lands on my leg, 
I let him crawl softly onto my finger, then blow him away. He lands on his back, struggles to upright, then makes his way to a safer blade of grass to collect himself. He rests there a while, appears stunned. I feel so sorry how easily I could have gently moved him to safety, could have allowed him to crawl onto a blade of grass as softly as he crawled onto my finger. Thoughtless of me to blow him into the breeze, which, while gentle to me, was much too strong for him. I have a lot to learn about compassion. That's nice. Mm. Yeah, that's something I keep thinking of, is how we are... Animals teach us about intimacy throughout time. I mean, I know my first real love was a cat, and there was such a closeness between the cat and myself, and then also this thing that my cat, if it was bugging me, I'd pick it up and throw it across the room. And I remember feeling so terrible that I did that. You know, it was like this kind of a connection where we're learning what our boundaries are as children. And it's just this opportunity to feel what we feel. And I know some people who are, mm, you know, I don't want to, I guess I'm going to say afraid of intimacy or kind of scared of other people. And animals offer this opportunity to feel safe and feel connected. Absolutely. You know, and I imagine right now with, you know, everybody sheltering in place and during this last year of COVID and not being able to have the kind of human contact and touch that we're all used to, that animals have provided a lot of support. That's so true. And I, I think you touch on a really, really important point, Blake, that that they do really give us a place to be absolutely and completely ourselves mm-hmm. and to love without reservation, without hesitation, without defenses. You know, I think we don't we don't often get that with other humans. You know, right. I think it's really difficult to do and I think that's one of the reasons that we we crave their company so much because it's a space where we can love freely. You know, you know, you, you so often you hear about the great thing about having, you know, a dog or a cat is that, you know, you get uncon- they they love you unconditionally. And and that's true and that's really, really wonderful and it's really a, a very blessed, sacred thing to receive. But I also think that they give us the opportunity to love freely as well. And and then, you know, I kind of think that's even a greater gift because, you know, certainly one of the things that I miss most when I don't have a dog or a cat in my life or a horse or, 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 you know, that... That if I don't have somebody in the room that, you know, they come, she comes over to me and my heart just cracks wide open and I feel this outpouring of love. You know, I mean, to me, that is sacred space. And I think that for somebody to come into your life and give you that opportunity to love so freely. I remember the first, the first dog that I had um, on my own when I lived, you know, when I, and when I came here to California, I had a, I adopted my first great team. I had no idea I was capable of loving that much. Uh-huh. Just completely opened me up. And so it, it, it really is a blessing. It's really an amazing gift and it's such a valuable part of that relationship. Yes. So you want to talk a little bit about your work as a veterinary homeopathic practitioner? So what is holistic animal care? 
Holistic animal care is, you know, often it's, it's, it's considered body, mind, and spirit, holistic care in general, and, and I think that's true, but I think it goes beyond that, too, even to environment and lifestyle and choices and freedom and a lot of things. It's really looking at everything that encompasses what we go through in life, you know, what the, what, when we're talking about animal care, um, every, every aspect of their lives. You know, it is certainly, obviously, the physical physical health and wellness, um, but also their emotional well-being, their social interactions. Um, are, they, are they able to engage in the world in a way that's meaningful to them and that's satisfying to them? Or are their emotional needs being met? And it's about, you know, when a, an injury or, or when an illness does come up, you know, what's going on physically around that illness, but are there emotional components mm-hmm. to it, too? You know, what is it in their history that may be a factor? You know, if there's a, um, you know, somebody like, like you know, with, with Tiffany, you know, the dog who I adopted at the age of 11, um, you know, she eventually developed a heart problem. And, um, you know, is that related to the emotional trauma that she had early in her life? So it really is looking at every aspect of life when you think about um, caring for, for an individual, whatever the species is. Taking that approach also means working with the energy of the animal and, and the healing capacity that we all have and choosing treatments and remedies that support that natural healing capacity um, as opposed to the more suppressive kinds of treatments that we often see in allopathic medicine or conventional medicine. And once again, I want to remind you that you're listening to Be More Now. I'm Blake Moore, and I'm speaking with Jan Allegretti. She's an animal rights activist and a homeopathic veterinarian. You mean like the treating of the symptoms and whatever the underlying cause still being there and then expressing in many different ways as it goes on? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, a lot of times the, the symptoms, when there's an illness or an injury, the symptoms that we see are part of the healing process. Right. You know, when we have a fever, it's because, because an elevated temperature can help to, can make it less, more difficult for a virus or bacteria to thrive in our bodies. When we, when we have uh, swelling, when we injure ourselves in this swelling, and, and redness, it's because the body is sending blood to that area to, to flush out toxins and to bring healing nutrients to the area. And so when we take an anti-inflammatory to reduce the, whose sole purpose is to reduce that inflammation, we're in a, suppressing the body's natural healing response. Or when we take an aspirin at the first sign of a fever to get the fever down, we're suppressing the natural healing response. And so instead with holistic medicine, we try to, it doesn't mean we let fevers run rampant or we let pain run rampant, but we use treatments that, that improve those symptoms because they promote the heat, they, they encourage the healing process. They help us move through the healing more easily. And do you use a number of different modalities in this work? I do. I do. I use, um, nutrition is a really, really important part of it. I talk a lot about diet and nutrition and, and again kind of and that that has a lot to do with 
stepping up outside of the assumptions that we make about what a proper diet is for a dog or a cat as opposed to as being something very different from what a proper diet is for humans. Uh-huh. Um, and that's really important. Um, but I also use homeopathy. I'm madly in love with homeopathy. It was um, something I was exposed to back when I had when I was working with the horses. Um, and I just loved that, you know, for three decades now, more, more than that. Um, and I also use herbs and supplements um, and body work, energy work, a lot of different things, but primarily nutrition, homeopathy, herbs, those kinds of things. Cannabis has become an important part of it. In the last few years, I was um, part of my, my experience around cannabis back in the Midwest was very different from what I understand about it now, and so I was kind of resistant to it for a long time, but um, when I started to study it and learn about it and, and saw what an incredible healing tool it is, what a gift it is, and, you know, how it can help us with so many things and, and with the, you know, with the, the non-humans as well, it's, um, um, it's been something that I've added to, to the repertoire as well. Yeah, I just recently saw a, a docu-series about cancer in pets, and it was mm. really shocking because I think a lot of us don't really think about that in the same way. I mean, some people don't think about it for humans either, but so much of the food that's fed, I mean, I just learned that some of the food is just feather product, and they've learned to mm-hmm. relabel it as poultry, isolate, something, something, but it's just feather. Yeah. And there's so much terrible ingredients and it's that same sort of the the education is just not there i don't think anybody would would in any way want to harm their pet by buying the cheap food because it's, it's all you can afford but i think that that's where that greater advocacy to our businesses to the corporations to those who are Making that food. Do you have any any advice to people on those lines of things that people that that you know someone can do themselves just to help their pets integrate and be fed better and be healthier? Yeah, I do. And in fact, I have a really um, a whole an approach to feeding that. I think just makes so much sense and it's so much easier and so much healthier and it, it is simply about applying the same basic principles of good diet and good nutrition to our our dogs and cats that we do to ourselves. You know, we, we've been taught that the best thing you can do to feed your dog or your cat is to buy a really good quality dog food or cat food and feed that one food forever. Just that same food? You mean just only that yeah. food? Uh-huh. Yeah, because, you know, if you feed something different, then they'll get diarrhea and, you know, it's not good. And so you just feed the same thing. It's just better that way. And no table scraps, right? Right. Okay. Now, this is this is a classic example of, of the assumptions that we bring to, you know, to how we, how we care for them. If you step back from that and let go of that assumption for a minute... What what principles do we apply when we feed ourselves? We know how to feed ourselves good, healthy food, right? We have, uh, we, 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 yeah, I mean, for the most part, unless you're, unless you're living on a diet of Twinkies and, and Toe Pops, you know, you know how to eat good, I would just say, food. yeah, that we do, but I think that when you look at our national diet, just go to a grocery store and it's very challenging. 
You know, yeah, I think a lot true. of people that's don't true. know how to feed themselves, and that's why we have such a an epidemic with sickness. So that's true. I, I'm sorry I, to I, I, go down I, the no, dark road. You know, you're right, but I think there's the difference between what we know about what good food is and what we choose to eat. Right. <laughs> Sometimes, and so I, I think most people know that that fresh food is generally best. You know, if you buy fresh, wholesome. Food, uh, whole foods is, is, is healthiest as opposed to highly processed and packaged foods. Um, and, and, and we've, most of us have heard about eating all the different colors of the rainbow and lots of fruits and vegetables and, and lots of leafy greens and that sort of thing and the whole grains as opposed to processed and, um, and lots of variety. Um, and, and, you know, those same principles, in fact, actually apply to feeding dogs and cats. No, I mean, we, we, we've been told, though, that you have to buy a dog food because it's been approved by a veterinarian or it meets certain, certain standards by the regulatory, established by the regulatory agencies. And unless you feed that diet that's met all those guidelines, that they're not going to do well. But we don't eat that way. I mean, we don't, we could go, to feed a dog a packaged food, the same thing every day, is similar to you go to the store and buy a breakfast cereal that's labeled as 100% nutritionally complete. When I was growing up, there was a breakfast cereal called Total. And it was called Total because it had 100% of every, every nutrient on the recommended dietary allowance charts. And so you could eat that and you get everything you need, right? Well, who among us would want to eat one type of breakfast cereal every day for the rest of our lives, you know? Yeah. And yet that, that's what we're doing for our dogs and our cats. So, and, and well, I mean, there's so many layers to that. There's, it's number one, there is no one set of nutrients, one, one prescribed formula that meets all the nutritional requirements of every individual dog or cat. And so, because everybody's different, you know, some need more protein, some need less, some need more of a micronutrient because of the environment they're in or the water they drink and the others need less. And, but if you feed the same, so, so we don't really, and, and then plus if we think we know what they need today, next week there's going to be a new study out that says, you know what, we found out they need something a little different. And so there are so many unknowns there, and even among the information that we do have, it's different for every individual. Right. Needs change across different life stages. A young dog needs something different from what he'll need when he's 10 years older. So there really is no right answer to yeah. what a dog, a particular animal needs. So what is the solution but to feed them in a way that's similar to the way we should feed ourselves, which is fresh whole foods, home prepared, not packaged and processed, and lots and lots of variety. So if, and if you feed that way, then you're, the animal is far more likely to get the nutrition that he needs because he's going to have many different foods to draw from. He may not get every single nutrient that he needs in the, in, in the precise what we think is the recommended proportion on any given day, but over the course of several days or a week or two, he's going to get what he needs. Right. Plus, by not, when, when, if he's exposed to the exact same nutrients every single day, 
he's far more likely to develop food sensitivities to, to some, some of those foods than if he is fed different nutrients from one day to the next, different ingredients mm-hmm. from one day to the next. Mm-hmm. You know, people are afraid of feeding corn and wheat and soy to their animals very often. And, and it's true that some have sensitivities to some of those things, but usually that's because, number one, very often in the, in the packaged foods they're genetically modified, but I think even more important than that is that they're fed the same thing all the time. If you feed a, a, a dog food that has corn in it and you feed it every day for years and years on end, then it's reasonable to think that dog might develop a sensitivity to corn. Right, just like humans. And, yeah. That's just right. Like yeah. Well, believe it or not, we are about out of time, and I want to make sure that if you have a, a message or something that you hope listeners remember from this talk, and also I want people to know how to find out more about you. You know, this, if, to find out more about more about me or getting in touch is easy. I, you know, I have a website. It's janallegretti.com. Um, that's an easy way to, to find me and to, to get in touch. Um, I'd love to hear from hear from people and, and find out what's going on and answer questions if, if, if that's helpful. Um, I, you know, I think we have so much so much opportunity for awareness, um, but we're often blocked from that. We often don't access it because of the assumptions that we carry, you know, things that we've been taught or, or expectations that we have because, because things have been done a certain way and because they are done in a certain way, you know, in our culture and everywhere, everywhere we live. And so I think, I think just being able to be really open and, and, and let go of assumptions and be really aware of what we actually see and feel and experience when we're, when we're out on the land, when we're with the trees, when we're, we're with our family dogs and cats, when we're engaging with the wildlife, with the deer and the ravens and the coyotes, and to just be present to who they are as individual beings with, with agency over their own lives and, and, and the right to agency over their own lives, even when humans become involved. I think we can we can learn so much from them. You know, it's just a, it's a never-ending process. It's, it's, there there there's as much information there and as much sharing available. I think as we're willing to willing to see and experience, it can take us as deep as we want to go. Right. It's a pretty interesting process. Thank you so much. What a pleasure, and I'm so glad you're doing the work that you're doing and bringing the awareness that you are to people and it's just it's, it feels so important as we are mm-hmm. trying to take better care of ourselves take care of each other and just the, the understanding that that psychic communication that we can enter into that is a deep spiritual connection with our yeah. with our pets and our companions i guess because Pets is even a pejorative. <laughs> it is. It is. It is. It's one of those things that we don't even think about, but it is. Mm-hmm. And it, and it's it really is. It's not. It, it. You know, I talk a lot about our connection with the non-humans, but it really is also it's the same. The same issues about our, our connection with other humans as well. Right. Know, and I think that I think the non-humans are a great learning learning place for us to practice those kinds of things that we can apply to. Mm-hmm. to the other humans. It's not quite as easy. So. Well, thank you so much. Keep up the great work. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Thanks, Blake. It's been great to talk to you as well. 
That was my interview with author, animal rights advocate, and veterinary homeopath Jan Allegretti. If you want to listen to this show again or share it with a friend, you can look up Be More Now on Spotify or go to kzwex.org and click on the link to the show archives. And I want to let you know that starting next month in April, the KZWX Thursday night format is shifting to make room for an amazing new show called Universal Perspectives with Chris Skyhawk. Universal Perspectives will be on the third Thursday of the month. Pride Radio will continue on the second and fourth Thursday, which means Be More Now will always be on the first Thursday of the month. Plus, those months with the fifth Thursday will feature a special reading series hosted by the Mendocino Theater Company. And I'm going to end the show tonight with a poem called Becoming Bear by Yukai High School creative writing student Guinevere Rosenberg. So this is Blake Moore saying thank you so much for listening and be sure and stay tuned for The Treehouse with W. Dan. And please, be extra kind to yourself as well as to everyone around you, no matter what they believe. Tolerance and compassion is the medicine we all need most right now. Becoming Bear I breathe in toxins and exhale gray. I breathe in happiness and somehow exhale anger. Insecurities play checkers with my confidence and prove confidence is not as strong as she seems. She is a weeping willow and a fern. I breathe in toxins and exhale gray. I breathe in strength and somehow exhale weakness. My feelings play chess with facts and even though confidence shared her shade with feelings, insecurities and facts held pruning shears. In one snip, they prove their strength to those who never questioned it. I breathe in toxins and exhale gray. I breathe in with discomfort and somehow exhale with comfort. Willow's shy truth is that she never challenged the others, not to a game of chess or checkers. Her branches never grew in the shape of no, and her trunk only supported those willing to accept her. I breathe in toxins and exhale gray. I breathe in a compliment, and somehow I breathe out a response that prunes another branch. Soon I will be bare. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can go to kzyx.org to find more shows and content like this one. While there, you can stream us live or check out our jukebox. And if you like what you hear, consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. We are Mendocino County Public Broadcasting, listener-supported community radio. KZYX, Philo, 90.7 FM. KZYZ, Woolitz and Ukiah, 91.5 FM. And Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. Thanks for listening. Thank you.